0: Well, Merry Christmas! Hey, before we get into the message tonight, we've got a special guest that's here with us all the way from the Dominican Republic. How cool is that? So I'm going to invite Carlos to come. If you could give him a warm city life welcome, he works with Food for the Hungry, and uh, he's our guide when we're in country there. And, uh, and we have just asked him to come tonight and, uh, and share a little bit about what uh, we're doing there with them and uh, give us a little, maybe a little bit of an update. Because uh, I know some of you have been, but not all of you have. And, uh, and so he's going to be able to give you some, uh, you're going to be able to see through his eyes uh, into, that, into that community where we're ministering. So thank you for being
1: here, Carlos. Thank you so much. It's, a, it's a, great, a great pleasure to be here sharing with you guys and worshiping the same God that we worship there in the Dominican Republic. And thank you for sending team to the community of La and for sponsoring children. It's a great it, a great thing happening in that community. It's uh, how people are getting together, getting to know the, Jesus, the Lord and also to work as a community. So thank you for doing that. And thank you for partnering with Food for the Hungry. With Food for the Hungry, we work with communities and health education and a uh, livelihood project, and you guys are being part of that in the Dominican Republic. And something that is really important to the, la- the change of the life in the community, with the activity that you guys do in the community by doing the vacation Bible school, by going home and praying for them. And that's why, because communities like, like Guasara, people feel like they're forgotten by the government. They don't have any help. But when they see people like you that are coming from a little far away, just to be with them, that reminds those that we are still married to God. So thank you for that. And, and another thing is the work that you guys are doing uh, is effective. And I have a proof of that is I, because I've seen that in my life. I grew up in a community that is about two and a half hours from the capital. And I was one of the sponsored child in that community when Food for the Hungry started working there. And I remember at the age of 12, I got to meet my sponsor family. And what a great uh, time was that because uh, they went to my house and they brought me a Bible. And the Bible says, I still have the Bible with me, it says, we know that you go to church, but we want that you have the personal relationship with God. And you know, after that, I just started thinking like, I don't want to disappoint them. To disappoint them, I want to, you know, to be accountable for what they're doing for me. And by being grow- by growing in the community and also being helped in the physical way, but also the spiritual well uh, way, because my community at that time we needed water, we didn't have water to drink, and even water to. To the church of the house we had to get up on morning and walk about like two miles to get water before going to school. Both well, to God and the church that I partnered with, we had the opportunity to receive three water system in our community. And also I remember after that that I just felt like I wanted to, to do something just to trying to pay back what that church did for me, and when I had to move to the capital to go to university, I just wanted to volunteer, and I came back to my community during spring break and vacation time just to work with Food for the Hungry because I wanted to, to pay back what people did for me. And I did that for about 200 years and a half, and, and then after finishing college, I moved back and they offered me a job to work in, my, in the same community. And it's just a blessing just to be in the middle of that and to be able to do something for, for the kingdom of God. We know that he can do all things, but he's pleased in choosing us to do that. So thank you so much because now I am working as a few liaison, I used to be a team coordinator, working with the teams. And, and today I am the one that is speaking on behalf of so many people that have been helped by people like you. So thank you so much.
0: Carlos is going to stay up here for a minute because he brought a gift that we're going to give to Carrie. Shannon, if she could come up. He brought coffee, too, but I'm keeping that for myself. <laughs> but you get the plaque. and uh, But you're going to hold on to this for the church. It's to the church. We want to give it to Carrie because of all the work that she's been doing on behalf of the church to organize these teams, take these teams... Working behind the scenes, it is a lot of work to travel internationally with a large group of people and do these projects. And so, Carrie, thank you for all that you've been doing. So, Hey, and let's just pray for Carlos. Stay up here with us, kid. Let's just pray for Carlos. Father, we thank you for Carlos. We thank you, Father, that before Food for the Hungry found him in the Dominican Republic, you found him there, and you've been chasing him his whole life, and now he's chasing you, and we pray, Father, that this desire and this passion that is in him to build your kingdom is only going to grow throughout his days, and we pray for every other child that's in that country that needs to be sponsored, that, Father, by your divine hand and through your work of providence, you're going to connect every one of those children with a family, just like what we're doing here at City Life, that their destiny is going to be fulfilled. We proclaim it in Jesus' name, come on, and everybody said, amen. Can you give Carlos another welcome? It's good stuff, isn't it? We said, we said, this week, we said, how much do you think we can fit into 90 minutes? So, isn't it awesome? Don't you like it, the weeks that are just full? All right, I hope you do, because I do, so you're getting a lot of them. Getting a lot of them. <clears throat> If, if, if you're interested in what we're doing, we're also super active in Haiti. Marvin, raise your hand. Haiti and the Dominican Republic are really the two countries that we've just kind of uh, identified. And so we have trips every year that are going to both of those places. And, uh, and so if you're interested in either one of those, just hearing Carlos talk a little bit, maybe the, you had this thought, I'd like to be a part of the trip like that. That wasn't your idea. That's the Holy Spirit whispering in your ear. Uh, then you need to see Marvin or Kerry uh, at the end of the service and uh, and learn a little bit from them about what you can do to uh, be a part of one of those one of those trips. If you've got your Bible, you can turn to Matthew chapter two, Matthew chapter two, verses one through eleven. Matthew two, one through eleven. We're launching a new series tonight called The Heart of the Magi. It's going to, I think, carry uh, over with us into into January. I know it's a little bit of a Christmas series, but I don't think we're going to be able to cover everything that we need to in the time that we have, so we're just going to push it out into January a little bit. I don't want to rush through this series. I feel like God's got a lot that he wants to say to us through it, and uh, so let me read these verses, and then we're going to jump in. Uh, and also, if you've got version, you want to start using that. If you don't have it, you want to start using it because all the notes are in there. It populates the verses for you. Uh, it's easy. It's an app that you can download onto your smartphone. Uh, and then also, we put the uh, notes online on the website uh, every week after the message. And so if you feel like we're moving faster, then you can take notes. That PDF document is always going to be available to you along with the podcast for the message. So verse 1, Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea. During the reign of King Herod, and about that time, some wise men from eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem asking, where is the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star as it rose, and we have come to worship him. Now, King Herod was deeply disturbed when he heard this, as was everyone in Jerusalem, and he called a meeting of the leading priests and teachers of religious law and asked, where is the Messiah supposed to be born? In Bethlehem of Judea, they said, for it was for for this is what the prophet wrote. O you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not least among the ruling cities of Judah, or a ruler, for a ruler will come from you who will be the shepherd for the people of Israel. Then Herod called for a private meeting with the wise men, and he learned from them the time when the star first appeared. And then he told them, Go to Bethlehem and search carefully for the child. And when you find him, come back and tell me so that I can go and worship him too. After this interview, the wise men went their way, and as the, as the star that they had seen in the east guided them to Bethlehem, it went ahead of them and stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were filled with joy. They entered the house and saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and they worshiped him, and then they opened their treasure chests and gave him gifts of gold, And frankincense and myrrh. Father, as we move into this series over the next several weeks, may it be that you would find and form in us the heart of the Magi. In Jesus' name, come on, and everybody said, Amen. I believe there are five responses that come from us that we learned through the Christmas narrative i'm just going to mention them to you the series is really focusing in on the response of the Magi, but I just want to give you the other ones, and it might be that it will uh, inspire you to do a little bit of reading and studying for yourself. The Shepherds, the account that's given to us of the Shepherds, uh, it's about a worship response or an adoration response. We did an entire message on why we worship the way we do, why it's so expressive, why it's participatory, why there's a prophetic edge to what we do in our worship as part of our Why series, and you can go online and get that, but there's a worship response. The Christmas story says to us that Jesus should be worship there should be something inside of you that longs to celebrate the goodness of God there's a worship response that should come Mary and Joseph talked to us about an evangelism response this is an important one I, I think if we're not careful we think that Jesus is just for us he's just ours And He is ours in His salvation that He gives and the communion that we celebrate tonight and the forgiveness that we can only find through Christ is a precious thing. But it's not just for us, it's for us also so that we might share Him with the world. As a parent, we understand. I love the baby dedications tonight for this moment and this point. we, We think of our children as being for us, and they are. God has entrusted them to us. But He's entrusted them to us for us to give them away to the world for their kingdom purpose. And it's the same with Christ. We want you to have a sense of Christ being yours so that you can share him with the world that you're in. There's an evangelism response that's supposed to come from us. Hannah and Simeon, if you're not familiar with them, a prophet and a prophetess that were in the temple courts and they had an encounter with Mary and Joseph and Jesus. and, And this tells us about a purpose response. When you read about Hannah and Simeon, especially Simeon, that God had told him that you will see the Messiah before you die. Can you imagine the promise that he carried day in and day out looking for the Messiah? He had such a sense of purpose, something that he was supposed to prophesy over Jesus before he died. He lived with this incredible sense of having, be, being, having been given a divine mandate. You've been given a divine mandate. You have a purpose. You have a purpose that's special. If, if, if there were ever gonna be another Bible that was written and there's not, all of us should live with a sense of expectation that I would be in there because my purpose is special that God has got something just for you to do. And the Christmas narrative should draw that out of you. There is a purpose response. We should long to know why God put us on this earth and what he's called us to do. Now, this is the one we don't like to relate to, but if we're honest, we all relate to, and that's Herod. There is a suspicion response that comes from all of us. And if you're not in touch with your Herod, your suspicious response, then I would say that you're not pressing yourself hard enough for the kind of change and transformation that God wants to bring to your life. Herod represents our humanity, sitting on the throne of our heart, wanting to do things our way, not wanting to worship, but to be worshiped. Anybody can relate to those feelings? All of us have a Herod that's inside of us, and the the Christmas narrative is to talk to us about the things that should come out of us, and then also the things that need to be gotten rid of from within us. And then the last one are the Magi. And and the Magi talked to us about a material response and that's going to be part of the series. It's one of the most overlooked themes in the narrative of the Christmas story. They brought financial gifts to Christ, and God put that right in the middle of the Christmas story for a reason. And we're going to be talking about that in the weeks to come. So all of these these different choices, all these different options. I've been praying for the last several weeks about what our focus is going to be for our Christmas series. And we were at the Williamsburg campus last Saturday. As you know, Pastor Jamie was here. And we're going to be doing that as we launch the Suffolk campus. Come on, at the end of January. we're going to be rotating a little bit every month or so just for all of us that are on the pastoral and, and, and those of us that, that teach a little bit in the church. And, and uh, so last weekend we were there in Williamsburg and during the worship service uh, I was praying, God, what, what do you want? You know, next Saturday's just a few days away, God. We got what are we gonna do for a series right? I've been praying for weeks, and then right in the middle of that worship set, I felt like the Holy Spirit just revealed to me that that God's desire for us was to name the series the Heart of the Magi, and that all week he's given me these three questions: How far have you come? What did you bring, and where do you begin? How far have you come? What did you bring and where? Do you begin and in this series we're going to spend time with each one of those questions and we're going to start with the last one first. I always like to talk a little bit about my own Jesus story my own journey as a devoted follower of Christ December is a special month for me because December of 1990 is when I made a vow of devotion to Christ and so this December is my 25th year. As a devoted follower of Christ, I'm going to turn 49 in March. And so I, I like these years because I've got more years now of running to, uh, towards God than I do running away from God. And, and, and this December, and, and with this series, this idea of where do we begin, with this idea of having the heart of the Magi, it got me thinking about where things started for me. And it was in the summer of 1990... I had graduated from college and I was bartending at a restaurant in Richmond, which my parents were so proud of that, right? They had worked and sacrificed so hard uh, for that four-year degree, and there I am pouring drinks, and it's like many of us that come out of college, I was not a devoted follower of Christ in that season of my life, and I, I just, I didn't want college to stop. I didn't want it to end, and so I, I found a way to get paid to do the, the debauchery that I loved, and uh, and so I'm there one night in this restaurant, and the band's playing, and the dream are being poured and there's this rowdy raucous environment and all of a sudden I've never heard God's audible voice but I have felt his voice and I feel his voice often and I, and I felt it for one of the very first times and I felt him say to me do you believe that Jesus is who he says he is just as clear as day I felt that question just out of nowhere now I had been around church most of my life and I knew that you do not want to get into a conversation with God right <laughs> You know, especially with the life that I'm living, because I know that he, he doesn't just want to ask me this question. He's not like the stranger on the street that says, hey, do you have the time? And then they walk away and you never talk to them again. I know that God's asking me this question is because he's going to draw me in to a conversation that's going to last a lifetime, and I, and I wasn't ready. I didn't think that I was ready. So I ignored that question, and I heard it day in and day out. God, he's quite relenting. Can we, just, can we agree on that? And so finally, I said, you know what? I do believe that Jesus is who he says he is. I took this step where I engaged God in this conversation. Jesus, I believe that you are who you say you are. Everything that I believe about Jesus today, I believed then. And so here was the next question that came. And I knew that there was another one that's going to come. And I was hoping it wasn't going to be one of the hard ones, right? And so the question was just an easy one. God said, don't you think you should at least take the time to read what he had to say? Isn't God good? He, he just—he—he he doesn't make it hard for us. It gets hard for us later in life, but he doesn't start us there. And, and so he says, hey, don't you think you should at least take the time to If you believe that Jesus is the Son of God, the Savior of the world, don't you think you should just, just read what he had to say? He didn't ask me to stop doing any of the things that I was doing. He, he knew that if he could get my heart right, that my lifestyle problems would take care of themselves. Some of us need to remember that when we're talking to people about Jesus. And so I started in the the Gospel of John. It was the first time at 23 years old that I I read the Bible for the first time for myself. I grew up in Sunday school and in church, but it was always because it was expected of me, because it was required of me, because I thought that I should. But for the very first time in my life, I picked it up and began to read for the first time by myself. And you know what surprised me? In thinking of the fundamentals of Christianity, I did not find anything in there that I did not already believe. I got to the end of the Gospel of John, and I thought to myself, I believe all of this. And God said to me, Fred, that's the problem. You believe all of this, but how are these beliefs instructing the way that you live? And I realized that there there wasn't a lot that I needed to change with how I believed, but there was a lot that I needed to change with how I lived. And then if I could just live out what I believe to be true, that it would transform and change my life. And I thought, this is just so simple. Now, it wasn't hard to make those changes. The life that I was involved in, the patterns that were in my life, and there's, there's sometimes there's a lifetime of breaking free from those patterns when they're so entrenched. But this idea of we hold things to be true we hold beliefs in our hand that we believe that this is God's plans for life, at some point you have to take a step and say, I want those beliefs to instruct the way that I live. Can I just say, if everybody who is a devoted follower of Christ, if we would begin to live, can we just say half of what we believe to be true? The world would change tomorrow. And that's what Paul challenged the church of Corinth with some 2,000 years ago. So if you've got your Bible, you can turn to there. If you've got a device, you can swipe there. It's in 2 Corinthians 6, 1 through 2. I love the reading through the Bible in the year. If, if you've not been reading through the Bible in a year, start now. Don't say, I'm going to wait until January because January is going to come and you won't start. Just pick up right now. Don't, you don't have to catch up. Just jump in. Just jump in. So I was reading this week, and we're in 2 Corinthians, and, 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 and so I, I read some of these verses, and I thought, come on, this is exactly what we're talking about tonight. 2 Corinthians 6, 1 through 2, as God's partners, Paul writes, inspired by the Holy Spirit, we beg you not to accept this marvelous gift of God's kindness and then ignore it. For God says, at just the right time, I heard you on the day of salvation, I helped you. Indeed, the right time is now, today is the day of salvation. Now let me read it to you. That was out of the New Living Translation. Let me read it to you out of the New American Standard. Then I want to talk about some key words in this verse. So 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 1 and 2. And working together with him, we also urge you not to receive the grace of God in vain. Not to receive the grace of God in vain. Now, we, we like to dig around a little bit into the language of the Bible, and when you do that, you find some interesting things. And what you find here is that the Holy Spirit in, inspires Paul with this I- incredibly creative play on words. Because in the New Living Translation, where, what, what, I forget which one, which one talks about receive and one talks about accept? And that word in the Greek is dekomai. And it means to take something into your hand. It means to hold it as a belief. It means that it's in your hand, you're holding on to it, you're gripping tight, and you're saying, that I believe this to be true. That's decomot. And that's what Paul says. So you accept it. You, you receive it. You take it into your hand. And then it, he says, but don't do it in vain, right? Or don't ignore it. And this word in vain or this word ignore is, is kanas. And kanas means to be empty-handed. It means to be empty-handed. And so Paul here is saying, hey, church, don't take something into your hand that you believe to be true and then live like it's not there. Don't don't say I have it in hand, but I live empty-handed. That was the first 23 years of my life. I had Daquumai down. I had the things that I believed to be true. But it was in vain because I ignored them. I was a kanos Christian. I was a a, a kanos believer. There was nothing about what was in my hand that was instructing me the way that I should live. So let me just give you some. Let me break it down for you this way. So what if, like our family gets away for some type of ski trip, right? And you see something posted on Instagram or Facebook or Twitter. There's a picture of me downhill skiing. I got the goggles and the helmet and the matching jacket because I'm all about the gear and the pants and the, right? I'm in the tuck, right, with the poles, and, and you'd go, wow, that's awesome. But what if you zoomed in onto that picture, and you saw me in this tuck, and I'm downhill skiing. What if it was like a video, and as you zoomed in, you realized I was holding someone's infant child. You'd be like, what is wrong with you? Why would you do that? Why would you put that child at risk if I came up to you? Maybe one of the couples that were here baby vacation. I'm getting ready to do the black diamond. Could I hold your baby? You'd be like, what? You're insane, right? Because you would say, if I hold the child, the fact that I have the child in my hand should begin to determine how I now act and live. I should make choices based on what I'm holding. What if Vanessa and I get away for our, our 19th wedding anniversary and we post some picture of some restaurant in New York City and we're maybe doing a little champagne toast together and you would go, "Oh, that's so cute. I hope they have a great time. And, but what if I posted that picture and we were on Interstate 95 driving doing the champagne toast? You'd go, now some of you would like that and that's a problem. You'd be like, "What? what? what's wrong with him? The fact that that's in his hand should instruct what he's doing and how he's living. What if there was a picture of of me singing in worship? You would like that. Unless you zoomed in and you saw that I had a microphone. And you would say, Fred, you're not allowed to sing in the microphone. We have rules here at the church, and that's one of them. The fact that you have that in your hand should instruct how you live. There's a self-evidencing quality to every one of those examples. And we could come up with a hundred more because it's how we live our lives. But when it comes to Christianity, there is a chasm. There is a gap. There is the decomai. There is the holding into the hand the thing that I believe. And then there is the kanas. There are the things that I ignore time and time again. I, I hold it to be true, but I live as if I'm empty-handed. Verse 2. For God says, at just the right time, I heard you. On the day of salvation, I helped you. Let me just talk about that first part of that verse. He helps us because there is a Herod inside of all of us that is responsible for the kenos of our Christianity. It's the Herod inside of us that says, I don't care what we believe, this is what I want to do right now. As a husband, as a wife, as a child, as a neighbor, as an employee, as a boss, as a church member, everything about Christianity is intended to instruct how we live day in and day out. And all of us find ourselves in moments where the Herod inside of us, where our humanity wants to shove Jesus off the throne and say, I know we believe that, but we're just going to ignore it right now to serve ourselves. See, I, I think for most of you that are in here, you don't have a belief problem. I would say for most of the Western church, we don't have a belief problem. We don't have a Dekomai problem. We've got more than enough in our hand for what we profess to be true. We've got a kanas problem. We ignore what we believe. We say we have this in our hand, but yet we live as if we're empty-handed. And we are desperate for God to help us change that. When we let Herod shove Jesus aside off of the throne of our life we need the power of the Holy Spirit to come back into that room and say you get off of that chair it doesn't belong to you See, son, you got to pray for yourself sometimes you got to pray over yourself you've got to minister to yourself you've got to prophesy over yourself right there's a little we joke all the time here there's a little bit of schizophrenia with Christianity you got to deal with yourself some of you need to deal with yourself tonight For some of you, maybe you've got plans for after the service that's an example of being empty-handed. And you've got to say, no, 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 come on. I'm going to hold these beliefs in both of my hands. I'm getting rid of the kanas. I just want to be dekoma. I want to be the one that holds the beliefs as sacred. And I let those beliefs instruct how I live. And if there's something that you're struggling with, then you need to get a hold of the second verse here in 2 Corinthians and say, God, I need your help. And he says, I'm here for you. I'm here for you. See, the day of your salvation isn't just the day that you make a vow of devotion to Christ. The day of your salvation is every day for the rest of your life, closing the gap between what you believe to be true and how you live. Salvation's a big word. It's a lifetime concept. We're never going to fully live up to everything that we believe to be true. But come on, can we just close the gap a little bit more tomorrow than it is today? invite the worship team to come back up I was thinking this week of maybe some of my my favorite movies that 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 have chasms in them or gorges. maybe you have some favorite movies one of my favorites is vertical limit anybody ever seen that Right, where, is it Chris O'Donnell, I think, is the character in that, where he's trying to save his sister. And it's, I'm not going to tell you how it ends, but, but it, he, he, he runs off this mountain. He's got an ice axe in each hand. Remember that? It's awesome, isn't it? And he's flying through the air because he knows he can't make the distance. He's just hoping that he's going to be able to get these ice axes to close the gap. Raiders of the Lost Ark, right? Indiana Jones, there's always some rickety bridge over a gorge, right? Some of your palms are sweating already, right, just thinking about it. What a powerful picture that is for us, for our Christianity. There is a chasm that exists in all of our lives between what we believe to be true and how we live. F- for you, you maybe you came into this service tonight and you've made a vow of devotion to Christ. And, and you think to yourself, I'm saved. And what I would say to you is, yes, you are. But your salvation isn't finished yet. There is saving that still needs to be done. The closing of the gap between what you believe and how you now live. See, the second part of this verse, listen to this. It says, indeed, the right time is now. Today is the day of salvation. Don't you love how the Holy Spirit inspired these men to write these words? And you come to moments like this, and it is as though it was written this morning for us. This could say Second City Life Church, chapter 6, verse 2. The time, it's now. It's like my, my, my summer of 1990. Now it took about six months for me to get to a place because Herod was gripping onto that throne of my heart pretty strong. It took about six months before I got to this place where I said, Jesus, I believe in who you are, that you're the Son of God, that you're the Savior of the world, that you died for me, and I need to live for you. And that began a remarkable journey, as I shared earlier in the communion time, my greatest regret is that I waited so long, those first 23 years. So you're here tonight, you've got a decision that you have to make. Are you going to keep waiting? Are you going to keep putting off what needs to be now? I'm gonna pull these back up in just a minute because maybe some of you here didn't partake of communion because you felt unworthy. You need to partake of it tonight. We're gonna just pull that back up. Maybe some of the ushers can come up for me and just help me out with that and pull the tables back up, Paul, a little bit and then uncover. Maybe you already took communion and you just need another piece of bread and a little bit more juice. It's not for everybody, but for some of you, something inside of you says that God's not done with me yet. And if you've got your empty cup, I hope you do. I hope that you're gonna take that into your hand and as we enter into this time of worship, I'm gonna ask you to hold on to this cup and I want you to think about these words. 2 Corinthians 7 verse 10, listen to these words. For the kind of sorrow that God wants us to experience leads us away from sin and results in salvation. There's no regret for that kind of sorrow, but worldly sorrow which lacks repentance, which means change, results in spiritual death. Can I just tell you that I woke up in those early adult years feeling sorrowful, many a morning, but not the kind of sorrow that this talks about, the kind of sorrow that says I want to change. That kind of sorrow didn't enter into my life until that year of 1990. For some of you, it needs to enter into your life right now. Right now. You might say, well, Fred, you don't understand how complicated my situation is. You don't understand how difficult my life is. You're right, I don't, but He does. And He asks the same things of you that He asked of me. And the only thing that I can tell you, at some point you've gotta decide whether or not you will trust Him. Because see, if trusting God is one of the things that you believe to be true, you with me? Then live as if it's in both hands. You're holding this cup tonight, stand with me as we get ready to worship. You're holding this cup tonight because you believe something about Jesus. All of you are holding this because you believe something about Jesus. And what I would ask you as you worship, that you would listen to feel the voice of God speak to you about one thing that you can do to close the gap of your chasm. One thing that He could speak to you that says your name, he's gonna say your name, I want you to begin to live as if that belief is in both hands. To get rid of the kanas, Christianity, of this one little part of who you are and be a dekomai follower of Christ, that you will not live as if that belief is in vain. Just pick one thing. And if you're here tonight again and you didn't partake in communion, come on, there's plenty of elements that are up here for you. If you need, come on, if you just need two because you need to hold two cups in your hand, then you come. Let's worship together.